welcome back guys so pretty excited this morning we finally have somewhat of a new story we have this swan debacle which keeps snowballing i think i think there's just a lot of confusion around what's going on and we're hoping to bring some light on that not really spread fud or dunk on anyone but we're hoping to clarify what's going on with swan customers funds you know where are the funds how should you approach custodians in general and in other news, we're back above 26K. So a lot of liquidations over the night <laughs> for people that thought we were going back below 25. People Absolute fools. Or, or yeah. <laughs> uh, not one for me, just one. And just a small one. I'm still in the green. That's but right. So in case you guys were wondering, over, over the course of this time frame that Alex is describing, if you go and look at the wallet addresses that have like zero to 0.1, 0.1 to one Bitcoin, one to 10, 10 to 50, et cetera, et cetera. Alex has dropped out of one of these. I won't tell you which one. Yeah. The, the one to point. It's okay. One, but it's a thousand. Out. It's a thousand to 10,000. <laughs> I dropped below. I No. What's it from Silicon Valley? It's like, I lost the third comma, bro. The two, oh, comma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> two comma, two comma boy. <laughs> there. Well, it's yeah. nice to be back with you. I'm excited to dig into this and a few other topics that we're going to be discussing today. My bad. My body said you need sleep and decided to not listen to any of my alarms or anything going off. So that was... It, se- it seemed like your phone was off. It was like, I was like calling you and I was going straight to voicemail. And I would say yesterday's show didn't count without you, but Tino actually crushed it. She no, Tino, Tino hit it out of the park. He's se- secretly our third host he just doesn't know it yet shaking his head in the back but round of applause make sure you give him a follow on twitter and on nostra yeah and a zap for putting Um, for putting the whole show together before we dive into serious news though we need to finish our conversation that we were having off camera so i was telling alex about my violent diarrhea and Alex lost 10 pounds over the weekend, and he's going to share his weight loss technique with all of you right now. So what exactly oh, yeah. was it that you ate? So we went out to some watch some cage fights live. I had a bunch of friends fighting and <clears throat> traveled out. Didn't eat anything all day because I generally just try to eat once a day, and I knew we were going to you know, get something good, whatever. And my friend, well, my coach actually takes me to this really good food truck. And, you know, like 5 a.m. the next day, I'm just like puking my guts out. I call him. He's like puking. Everybody's no. sick. <laughs> like no. I was sick for like, I don't know, like probably like 36 hours. At the last like six or so hours, there was more time between. But for that first 24, I was puking multiple times an hour, just like. I don't know. It was incredible. It was worse than COVID. Like I I thought I was going to die. I couldn't drive. I had no, I couldn't drink water. That was the worst part. I just, I couldn't hold down any water. I I was telling Tino, I tried to eat like a fourth of a banana and it cost me, I mean, I puked like 15 times. Like it just destroyed me. And that was the first thing I was like, what do you eat when you have food poisoning? Every website said banana. So I was like, okay, I'll eat a, I'll eat a banana. (laughs) It just totally destroyed me. Yeah, so I feel great. You know, I lost a ton of weight. I'm feeling good. Feel feeling like I'm looking good. I, I went to practice yesterday, and I was feeling lean and fast. So it's a great it's a great weight loss technique if you survive food poisoning. If you survive. Yeah, what yeah. So I don't. Yeah, yeah. So definitely feel you if you got to tell me troubles. Thank you. Oh yeah. Well, now I need to know if we ever go to New York. Does this mean you won't eat at food trucks with me? Street meat in New York's a little different, though. Man, that hits different. You got, you kind of got to do it. It's the best. That in Berlin, some of the best street meat in the world, like Turkish food in Berlin. Oh my god. Interesting. Noted. I'm uh, I'm partial to the Mexican tacos, street meat. Give me a little al pastor on the spit on the side of any street in LA. And I'll pull over and I'll have a few. Well, we didn't really have any Mexican people when I was growing up. So I never really had good tacos until I went to 
like Los Angeles, Texas, you know, the Southwest. So I'm still getting into tacos. More like a oh my god. But I'm like offended. Are you gonna go be be a pack? Am am I gonna go what? Pack Bitcoin. I haven't been invited. So I'm just staying at home being offended. Honestly, same. God damn it. (laughs) Why haven't you invited us? I expect a personal handwritten invitation. This is not the day to ask for an invitation when we're scrutinizing the parent company at their conference. (laughs) Hey, I I I'm simply asking for a ticket. That's true. That's true. Uh, I'd like to speak. It looks like a it looks like a fun time, not gonna lie. I was pretty sad. I haven't got an invite, but alas, can't go to all the Bitcoin conferences. I wanted to give an update just where we're at for the day. Like I said, the price ticked back up and now we're dropping a little bit, but you know, short time preference, who cares? How salty are you that you got liquidated? (laughs) I'm not that salty. So this was a bet that I placed that I was like, could go either way. So I allocate a really small amount of stats. Whenever I'm doing hundred X leverage, it's pretty, it's like, it's just a couple thousand stats. It's going to be okay. It's just for fun to remind me that you should not trade Bitcoin. And when <laughs> you win, it gets too big. You go and put one of these 2000 sat leverage longs or leverage shorts. Yeah, something. I mean, in the initial drop down, I made like 200,000 sats. So that was cool. That was fun. Okay. So I don't know. LN markets, man, it's addicting. It's super fun, but it doesn't translate. I mean, I'm not going to start placing big bets or anything like that. Anyway, we're at 26,200 sats per dollar ticked over. Moscow time ticked over 4,000 sats per dollar. Would you believe it? I mean, beautiful to see. I'm sad to report that I did not take the opportunity to buy. I was too slow. I thought we'd be there for longer. I missed it. I missed 4,000 sats per dollar. So now we're back below. We're at 3.8. Market cap of 510 billion. Um so that's your weather report for the day. <clears throat> we got, as always, three questions. Three questions about Bitcoin we're going to cover. I mean, the first story was pretty much a non-story. It's just that we ticked back above 2,600. I was curious, Q, I feel like I don't have a good understanding of what is your near-term thesis, if you have one, for the price of Bitcoin. Maybe, say, next six months. Next six months? <sighs> This is such a non-answer and people are going to give me shit. I think we're going to go sideways for a little bit. I think we're going to go down for a little bit and then we're going to go up. But there's potential for it to not be in that order. Like, All right. I, I can't give you a more non-answer than that. I don't think we've had our sort of. So you're not you, you don't have a dry powder on the sidelines. You're not waiting to accumulate here, or oh, I have so you? much dry powder. Oh, really? But I'm no I'm no longer at more than fifty percent dry powder. I've been steadily, I've this been is, steadily uh, going in. Wow, I did not know you were so bearish on Bitcoin, my dude. <laughs> you're sitting in a good position for how low the price is, but that's incredible. Yeah, but that's a bullish statement. That's not a bear statement. I feel like more like 90 to 100% allocation is a bullish is a bullish statement, like an irresponsibly long kind of thing. I'm literally That's moving across the country. I need so much cash right now. It's like the worst time for me to try to stack. <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Hey, I, I mean, I just... my DCA off because I was like, I can't refill my strike account right now. What are you guys traveling in? What are you driving? If you want to share. DW Jetta. That... Oof. And right now, my my dad has been, like, scolding me every day. So, nightmare story. I took my... Wait, is your dad with you? I don't know. But I took the car into the shop to, like, get the oil changed. And then we got the car out of the shop. And then within a couple days, all the oil leaked everywhere. And there was, like, a panic to try to get this resolved before we started our road trip. And along the way, the dealership was also like, oh, by the way, your tires, they're really bad. You should replace them. Like, I ain't letting you guys touch shit in my car after what you did. So, no. I was talking to my dad about it. My dad was like, dude, you need to go get new tires. Like, go make an appointment at Costco and replace your tires because you're driving across the country. And Are they bald or what? One of them is, like, completely flat. Yeah, you should get new tires. Yeah. 
Yeah, be safe out there. Jet is a good car, but I don't know if it's the most comfortable thing to travel with all your stuff. Are you pulling a trailer or like what are you doing with all your stuff? It's in like a U-Haul shipping container. Oh, it's, it's never... getting shipped, but you're yeah. not wrong. Like the car with me, my girlfriend, and our dog, and then all of our shit, it is a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, I feel you, man. I've, I've done that trip. I definitely feel you. All right, so moving on to our first story of the day. Q, I don't know how much of this you caught yesterday, but where are Swan customers' Bitcoin? Let's talk about it. How much of the story did you catch? And, and what do you think? What do you think about this whole thing? I mean, if we go back just for a little review, um, there's a guy named Scott Purcell, who's the CEO of Prime Trust back in the day, who was a custodian for many Bitcoin companies, both Strike and Swan, for example. Scott leaves Prime Trust. Suddenly, Prime Trust loses access to legacy wallets that it's holding. There are a couple other, I don't know if there's a hack, there's some other very fishy things that happened. But the point is they use customer funds to cover the hole in their balance sheet. A pretty big hole in their balance sheet. Let's see if I can pull up the numbers here real quick. Yeah, in, in terms of fiat, Prime Trust owed its clients north of $85 million and only had about $3 million in fiat on hand and owed a further 69.5 million in different crypto assets to customers, including Bitcoin, of course, largely Bitcoin. And they had a further 70 million of crypto on hand. So that company obviously is bankrupted in receivership. And there was a deal for Bitco to acquire Prime Trust, and they backed out of that deal when this kind of shortfall misallocation of funds happened. And what's interesting is that Swan, I believe, was already in the process of moving to a new custodian called Fortress. So before any of this got out, it, like when it came out about Prime Trust, it made it seem like Swan had prior knowledge. There was a hole in the balance sheet and nonetheless continued operations and didn't let the public know. I mean, it was a very much the public found out and had to ask a lot of hard questions to the company. I mean, who's to say what order things really happen? But if you just take, you know, kind of Corey Swan crew at their word, basically what happened is they were already in the process of moving custodians and getting out of prime trust. I think the reason being is because they wanted to separate the broker from the custodian. And Corey's been very, very good about explaining this in the United States. It's a legal precedent in the kind of fiat uh, finance realm to have separate entities as broker and as custodian so that you don't get any kind of weird play or kind of double dipping, or you don't have one entity that can easily kind of move around customer funds like FTX did, for an example, just like crazy fucking backdoor schemes and taking out loans that nobody knows about for yourself. Ooh, and just... I want to caveat that okay. real quick. Okay. Okay. Because what FTX did was so wrong. And I, I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying that. Like, they are criminals yeah. and should be prosecuted accordingly. Right. But there's actually no material difference, in my opinion, between the actions of FTX and the actions of Silicon Valley Bank or, frankly, any other banking entity that takes client funds and uses that as an asset on its balance sheet to then go out and secure other loans or make loans against these assets that other customers have deposited in. Literally the, the only uh, difference is FTX lacked a banking charter. If they had yeah. a banking charter, everything they did was actually legal. And we don't talk about that enough in my opinion, because without discussing that, we leave the door open for the FTX fiasco to be recreated under a legal precedent. And it definitely is. I mean, definitely somewhere it is and definitely banks that hold Bitcoin or can do this kind of thing, but that's an excellent point. I mean, it's a huge, what about ism. I mean, it's not, to, it's obviously you preface it by saying FTX is like super guilty and like there's a huge difference between a bank and an exchange. And you, a person should have very different expectations using both. And if you're using one, 
in exchange to purchase Bitcoin. I mean, I don't know how much better our education efforts can get. I don't understand how people leave their fucking Bitcoin on exchange at this point. It's like we see this happen. I know. And it's insane to me. It's every couple months. But anyway, let me just finish the preface of this because I I think I'm on track here. I don't think I've missed too much so far, but you're good. Okay. So, right. Broker, custodian. Corey says, no, we want these to be separate entities. Okay. So that's why they move to Fortress. Interestingly, the CEO of Fortress is the former CEO of Prime Trust, Scott Purcell. And wouldn't you know, you know, a few days ago, it comes out that Fortress's cloud, you know, one of their you know, cloud is just someone else's computer. So of course they were hacked and customer funds are missing. And then it comes out that <laughs> actually, before we even get to this part, it's very funny. So Corey spent the better part of last couple years basically trolling people he thinks are villains and, and crooks online. Usually he's, he's pretty spot on. I mean, you know, he's someone who is pointing out Luna, FTX, warning people. He saved a lot of people by calling out bad actors in the space. But one of the people he's been calling out relentlessly is uh, Ripple executives to the point where he's actually accused them of criminal misconduct. I mean, I'll give you an example of some of the things he said. He said, Chris Larson is... Chris Larson from Ripple is a scam artist. He lies about Bitcoin person- professionally to enrich himself. He also wrote, Chris Larson is one of the worst actors in the entire crypto space who's made a living from lies, misinformation, and securities fraud. And then he's randomly tweeted, you know, Ripple's a scam. And then another tweet, here's hoping Larson shares a, sh- shares a cell with SBF. And then another tweet calling Larson a criminal scam artist. Let's see, we got two more. Chris Larson has been pumping and dumping XRP unregistered securities on unsuspecting retail for the last decade. And then he goes, Chris Larson and other owners of Ripple FTX were perpetuating a criminal game of securities fraud. So this is the kind of shit you can get sued for saying. So it's pretty pretty serious allegations by Corey. And I'm not saying I, I disagree with him. I've never met Chris Larson, I don't really care about Ripple. It's not something I would ever purchase or recommend anybody purchase. You know, I think it's interesting from a perspective of the SEC and the trials going on, but I don't follow closely enough to say how accurate any of those statements he made are. Okay, so what's crazy, the thing that blew everyone's mind uh, Monday was that Ripple announced the acquisition of Swan's custodian, Fortress Trust to cover the hole in their balance sheet and, you know, make those customers whole. So I think it's important to differentiate if, you know, we take the Swan team and Corey at their word, no Swan customers lost any Bitcoin in this hack. Um, Now there's a whole separate concern we can talk about in a minute of, okay, so now you've got this alleged criminal who potentially has access to Swan customer data. That would be Ripple through Fortress, owning Fortress. Now, Corey says they're operating as separate entities. That makes sense to me. I mean, it would be, but it's like, a I can't verify that kind of thing. There's just like, there's a lot of trust going on here. Yeah. So Swan, their official statement is that although Fortress lost funds in a security incident, the incident did not involve Swan customers. So it's claiming that the client funds are insured in cold wallets at BitGo. So this totally baffled me yesterday. Just, I mean, I'd, I haven't used Swan in quite some time. So I wasn't sure what their setup was. And after Prime Trust, I looked into it a little bit, you know, okay, Fortress. Now BitGo comes into play. So I'm looking a little more into it. And I'm just utterly confused because if you go on the Swan website, what it actually says is that your Bitcoin and USD is stored under your name with Fortress, with you as the sole legal owner. Swan does not have the ability to move your funds. So I posted that yesterday. I mean, it had been all day. I thought it was odd. This team has a history of calling out bad actors in the space and just like really dunking on people that are, you know, not up to, you know, Bitcoin kind of purity standards. 
so I thought it was really weird on the day when there's a lot of questions because you know everybody in the space uses Swan, and they're all wondering like, is my Bitcoin safe? Like, what? <laughs> I mean, anything you left on exchange, you should have known is not inherently. But they're they're wondering, am I owed money here? Is there Bitcoin missing? Should I withdraw? I need to close my account. Like, is my data being breached by Ripple? Like, does Ripple on my data now? They have all these questions, and I don't hear peep. And I don't know. I mean, I I've never run a company like Swan. I can't imagine how hard it is to, to, to put that together and just the, the engineering, the technical feats. I'm just saying, I was like, guys, it's like midday Monday morning. I haven't heard anything from Corey. I haven't seen any blog posts. I, I was looking on employees' pages and I just didn't see any clarity. So I just tweeted out, what's going on, guys? You're being awfully quiet today. I just want some answers here. Like, where are the customers' Bitcoin? Where are they stored? Because... And immediately I post, you know, this screenshot that Magoo found that shows your Bitcoin and USD are stored under your name with Fortress as your sole legal owner. I've then got multiple employees from Swan start tweeting. They start defending their position and saying the Bitcoin is explicitly stored with BitGo. And now, you know, you see my problem there. Your website says one thing. You're telling me another. And it's not like a small typo. Like, I'm not playing semantic games here. It's like your website says you have a different custodian than your employees are telling people online. That was super confusing to me. Yeah. So clearly, they want us to know that the Bitcoin is stored with Bitco. The screenshot, I'm told, refers to legal custody and was worded properly, but it doesn't change the fact that the Bitcoin is stored with BitCo and always has been since we moved. So that, I mean, I'm, I, I just don't understand the nuances there. So I'm asking if you have comments or insight into this, I mean, let me know. I would love to, I would love to learn more about it. Q, I don't know. I've went on a tear there. I think I'm at a place where we can dive into this and dissect it a little bit. What do you think so far? So... The lack of response is, is troubling for sure. I don't fault Swan because there's an element of this that we also need to discuss and really like appreciate the wrong word, but I think just really understand. And that's there are certain parameters and rules that financial businesses, companies have to adhere to. Like these are the rules that have been put in place. And as a, I hate using it like this, but as a money that is meant to disrupt the entire fiat system, it's actually the most important thing to adhere to all of the current legal requirements for Bitcoin businesses out of the fear that if they don't, they could succumb to so much regulatory scrutiny that they would cease to be able to operate. So that- Yeah, can I just, can, can we say that's like definitely a point in favor of Swan and Corey. I think it's very noble of Corey to proactively say, hey, we don't want access to your fucking money. Like we're basically just like an API. <laughs> like I don't want to, I don't actually want to uh, control or custody anybody's funds. And one thing I didn't mention enough is this team has gone above and beyond probably more than any other company in the space to say that you should take your Bitcoin off exchange. I see it with like every tweet, like do not, we do not want to custody a single sat. That is our goal. Get all your Bitcoin off exchange. So that could, I please don't mistake that. Swan is not trying to hold custody. They've been very clear about this for years. Sorry, Q, go ahead. That, like 100%, like this is a company that tries to adhere to the ethos of Bitcoin. What my hope is rather than this, turning into something that we as Bitcoiners look at each other and let this tear us apart. We use this as an opportunity to almost recognize, okay, this is an aspect of the current financial system that is antithetical to Bitcoin that we don't agree with, that we don't like, that we don't support, that we don't want to see used neither on the coin network itself, nor be recreated onto this network. So my hope, at least, is that this will spark some sort of a wake-up call 
and maybe, I don't know, some people will start to found new businesses or look at new ideas with this in mind. Yeah. The, yeah. The I think, of, um, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think there's, uh, there's some other interesting kind of details here. Okay. So another thing that, uh, Swan let us know last, uh, yesterday was that yes, all client coins are insured in separate cold wallets at BitGo and they did not move during the incident at Fortress which means they're unaffected. Well, actually, no, it doesn't quite mean that they're unaffected. It means they didn't move. You can still watch someone's Bitcoin. You can have a 12 word seed phrase or 24 word seed phrase and watch it fill up with a little more Bitcoin before you decide to hack it, if that makes sense. So those aren't quite, that's a, that is a semantic game. They should probably clarify that a little bit more. The coins are protected by video calls and physical access and are not subject to any incidents at Fortress. Listen, the game of institutional Bitcoin custody is a wild one because you think, what do you mean video calls? That sounds super in this age of AI, that sounds super insecure. But, and I don't know, at the same time, it's like, do you really want, I don't know, Corey himself, for example, walking around with the keys to everybody's funds? I wouldn't want that as a customer. I wouldn't want any single point of failure. It's got to be a multi-signature, multi-institutional setup which I think is what's happening here. I think this is a three-party system between Swan, Fortress, and uh, BitGo. I just don't have kind of the, the clarity on how that works. And we're waiting this much anticipated blog that they're supposed to be publishing about that. And if it comes out during the show, I'll absolutely read it. But another interesting note is that Clipstein claimed that Lloyds of London underwrote insurance of up to 250 million per Bitcoin wallet with no wallet holding more than 250 million. Sounds like an insane insurance claim. I mean, that's better than you'll get at any bank. And that's gotta be the best deal out there currently for any Bitcoin to be insured anywhere. I've never heard of something more robust than that. So if that's true, that's, I mean, bravo, that's pretty cool. But it doesn't mean you should leave your Bitcoin on exchange. No, and I'd also be curious to know like what you have to pay to qualify for that insurance claim because remember the insurance company's job is not to pay out its claim but figure out how to not pay out to its customers otherwise yeah. they don't make money they lose money precisely i also wonder how many of those wallet addresses will be over 250 million after the next bull run <laughs> No, hopefully none of them, because I hope that everyone takes their Bitcoin off the exchange. And that's not to say, Bud Swan, pull your Bitcoin off exchange. It's not safe. No, even Swan would acknowledge, like every employee at that company would acknowledge, like, look, this defeats the purpose of the Bitcoin. <laughs> you need to hold it yourself. You need to custody it yourself. If fucking the majority of the Bitcoin in the world is custodied, by trusted third parties and banks and exchanges and governments, we have failed as a movement to fulfill the purpose of Bitcoin. I mean, I don't know, Q, what do you think? What's the, we can transition here a little bit. I mean, is there more we wanted to cover about Swan? There was one more kind of receipt I'm trying to bring up here. I'll let you know if I find it in a second. I, I hit the points I wanted to hit. That does segue to the first question. Unless you have your point, I would say that the top on over to the question. I got it. I got it. Okay. Okay. So a lot of people are claiming, you know, they're looking for clarity, lashing out, claim, claim, claiming they're, they're playing dumb here. But to be fair, we're still, we're expecting, you know, this is a, this is an emergency. This is like a PR crisis. It takes a little bit to get your eggs in a row. They don't want to further confuse people. So I grant them the grace period, 24 hours get your shit together, tell us what happened. So we're expecting this blog post to come out. Uh, after I pointed out that <laughs> Swan employees were telling everyone yesterday that uh, BitGo was their custodian, well, the Swan website says that Fortress is their custodian, they actually changed the website. So they, they, they were, I, 
I mean, it was worded poorly and confusing for sure, because I mean, who knew that there's a difference between a legal and a physical custodian, right? Like who's that deep into exchanges? I didn't know that. So they updated their website and it now says, I mean, I'll just read this just because I think they did a good job on this update. Where is your Bitcoin stored? We always encourage clients to take custody of their own Bitcoin as soon as possible. We provide free and automated withdrawals and are always here to answer any questions or concerns about making withdrawals. When you open a Swan account, you will be presented with a terms of service agreement and a custodian appropriate for your account. So if you open an IRA account, uh, for example, Swan actually in that case does have to custody your Bitcoin, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you don't get to just run off with your, with your retirement. Um, so signing the agreement will establish a direct relationship with the custodian. Swan facilitates your interactions with the custodian, but should Swan become unavailable for any reason, you will be able to contact the custodian directly. So when you purchase Bitcoin through Swan, your Bitcoin is held in cold storage with a qualified custodian. That's in most cases going to be BitGo, unless you're using probably the IRA product. Um, Swan independently audits Bitcoin and cold storage against ledger balances at the custodian of record. So they currently work with Fortress Trust and Backed as custodians of record. So that would be the legal custodian, I believe, and BitGo as a cold storage custodian. Okay, and then, you know, if that's uh, too much in the weeds, just bear with me for one second. We've got... <laughs> Magoo keeps going on about, you know, why are you calling it a custodian of record? That's not a term used in the custody business. It's called a legal custodian, legal custody or a custodian. Your clients do not have a legal relationship with BitGo. Fortress does. Brady says it's a legal term, but you could also call it a legal custodian. And then hilariously, Magoo points out that custodians of records, as the Swan team had been calling them, are used for pornographic films to like verify the ages. <laughs> so this, <laughs> that's the real use case for this term. It's like, if you made a film past 1990 that has any nudity, you have to keep on record, I guess some kind of signed thing that the person who appeared nude in the film was of age forever. Like that just has to be in perpetuity. That has, record has to be available. So that's just a, a hilarious fun thing that made it a little more lighthearted. Okay, I think we beat this one pretty much to death. I, feel I think we're now we just what's that? Yeah, I think we just await the we just await the blog post and see what comes next. But yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I wish the company the best. I hope that I hope that customers who were keeping their Bitcoin in third party, you know, trusted custody learn their lesson. I mean, fortunately, it sounds like no one at Swan lost any Bitcoin, but could happen man i will point out i think it's a little suspicious that this scott purcell has had two incidents i mean that guy should be fired immediately um prime trust leaves prime trust funds go missing shows up at fortress funds go missing uh yeah that's that's two strikes you only get one strike in this industry <laughs> so uh that's tough um all right, Q, let's dive into uh, some questions for the day. Sure. So let's talk smart money and more specifically, how does the concept of smart money tie into Bitcoin's narrative and what potential implications does it have for the future of finance? So let, let's start first. What is smart money? This is the big money that moves markets, the institutional investors. If you look at it from the angle of investing or trading in stocks, the smart money is typically the money that can move the market either up or down. So the big money, the whales, et cetera, however you want to think of it, it's Wall Street, the institutions. This ties back in both Bitcoin ETFs. And last week we had the news about the FASB getting changed so that corporations can potentially mark their gains in something like Bitcoin on their balance sheet. I like, I'm curious and I'm going to bring you on the screen while I talk. Cause I want your facial reactions as I say these things. So mm -hmm. how does the concept of smart money tie into Bitcoin's narrative? It doesn't like that. I'm going to just start with that first half. It actually doesn't. 
Bitcoin does not need smart money to succeed. It needs people to use it. Now, the reason why I say it does not tie into Bitcoin's narrative is Bitcoin is not meant to be this thing for all of Wall Street to all of a sudden accumulate the vast majority of Bitcoin and be able to just hold it themselves, use it themselves as they see fit akin to what they've done with the fiat monetary system. That said, because Bitcoin is a public ledger that anyone can access and anyone who wants to spin up a wallet has the ability to go and accumulate Bitcoin, there's no way for Bitcoin itself to prevent, oh, you know what, you're too wealthy to own Bitcoin or, oh, you're actually a corporation, so you're not allowed to Bitcoin. That's not how Bitcoin works. So whether it is meant to be a part of Bitcoin's narrative or Bitcoin's growth is irrelevant because it is happening. And so the second part of what potential implications does it have on the future of finance in general broadly, look, we're literally in the middle of watching the SEC battle with pretty much any large financial firm that wants skin in the game that wants to release yeah. their own they're just spraying they're just spraying birdshot i mean they're just spraying prey with these lawsuits <laughs> well the the take that i heard was actually really interesting and i i, I really like this where it's not so much that they're operating they being the sec they're not operating from this lens of oh what they're doing is wrong so let's go after them it's hmm i don't like what they're doing and I can make it really hard for them to do it. So I'm going to do what I can in my power to make this more difficult. And if the courts don't agree with that or whatever, like, okay, fine. Then like, I'll, I won't do that, do it that way. Or I won't. Like, well, maybe they wanted to delay to accumulate and fill their own coffers. I mean, there's lots of reasons why they might want that's to. A, uh... That's a possibility for sure. I just... I think overall, as institutions start to come into Bitcoin, if you haven't read the block size wars, shout out our boy Chris Alamo for forcing me to finally get it and read it. We are coming closer to recreating the block size war in different ways, of course, or potentially in the exact same way. And, you know, subtle things like BlackRock being the second largest shareholder of five of the tops or four of the top five publicly traded mining companies. That's not something to personally, like that's not something to cheer about. Like BlackRock could buy and sell all five of those companies today, right now, without batting an eye. Like it wouldn't materially impact their $10 trillion assets under management to purchase roughly $5 billion worth of publicly traded miners, mining companies. So, but I think that, okay. So the underlying question we're trying to answer here is, you know, how does this concept of smart money tie into Bitcoin and how does it affect its future prospects? And I think the answer is, look, it affects the fiat price appreciation or depreciation when institutions are aligned with Bitcoin and accumulating and things are going very well and making public statements and it's in the news day after day, occurs roughly around the election every four-year cycle, Bitcoin soars, it starts to price that stuff in and then it gets a little bit immune to it and then people get a little bit of FUD and then we get some hate articles and then institutions sell and then laws come out and things change and countries ban it and then it crashes. Like it's cyclical, I think it's just, it's just more, it's just more, more liquidity in the game. It's just more, it's less opportunity. I mean, I'm with you. Like it's fun in terms of price appreciation. It's great to see your stack appreciate, uh, you know, by thousands of dollars in one day, but that's beside the point because like the reality is, okay, now the Bitcoin that you're stacking is more expensive. It's going to take you longer to achieve your stacking goals. And generally that's mil every time an institution buys, that's like thousands, if not millions of people out there in the world that will never get their hands on that Bitcoin. So it just becomes more and more scarce. I mean, it's not like we're going to run out. Like 
it's just we get closer to a SAT standard every time. So I think it just ushers in this financial fourth turning a little bit faster. And I think that the sad part about this is it's not going to be pretty, in my opinion. I think it's going to get pretty freaky for people who do hold Bitcoin. I mean, because you, I think you will be astronomically wealthy compared to those who don't. And, you know, the laggards will absolutely be penalized in terms of price appreciation, but they'll still get to benefit by virtue of the network in every other way. And I think like our mission is to get Bitcoin into the hands of as many of these people as possible and make it as easy to use as possible so that they have, they can front run these institutions because we're still so early. I mean, you hear the cliche over and over again, but people don't realize like we're, we still got in before most all the major banks, the institutions, BlackRock, MicroStrategy, we were holding before all of that. And you can be too. It's not too late. So I don't know. I think it, it gives it a pretty fun game theoretical element with pretty serious consequences. Um, From a price perspective standpoint. But yeah, really what I want to like dive deeper into, like exactly. So Tino, our producer, just threw out do you think the government will pull it April 5th, 1933, which references when they put the ban on gold, making it illegal to own and hoard your own gold? So, look, we've seen time and time again, these big businesses will go to daddy government that they lobby and they, they essentially fund through all of their campaign contributions and say, hey, this ain't fair. You need to change the rules. Um I hate using this as an example, but I think it, it is very relevant. There's a movie coming out, Dumb Money. It's about the whole AMC GameStop trade bullshit that happened in January 2021. And in one of the scenes in the trailer, they Dude, literally... That, that, sorry to cut you off. That and the Richard Hart movie are two, two I've got to see. They just seem like divine comedy. I think this movie, Dumb Money, is going to be really good because I like the director a lot. He did I, Tonya. And he's like one of those guys who will just like push it and go there. Oh, is that really... the ice skating movie? Yeah, with Margot Robbie. Oh, okay, cool. Nice. So there's a scene though in the trailer of Dumb Money where they're like, we won. Like you beat the institutions, but they're going to come after you. They're not going to take this loss easily. And so my concern is that what Bitcoin was founded off of, which was the 2007, 2008 financial crisis and watching these big banks get bailout after bailout smart money coming into bitcoin is antithetical to what it was founded for and mark mm, i don't word. know about that oh absolutely absolutely it's how's that antithetical ashes of the 2008 financial crisis it was it references it in the white paper I think if the Federal Reserve started to hold Bitcoin, that would be a little bit ironic. But I don't think it's antithetical for anyone to pick. I mean, it's money for enemies. It's for everyone. See, but I think ultimately what we're not recognizing is like, this isn't someone you don't agree with. This is someone who doesn't even believe in the same things that you believe in. And okay, smart, yeah, but that's the smart money. Won't that's your enemy. But that's still I still fight for their right to accumulate it. But they will stack the deck in their favor. They will change the rules as they see fit. However, they change see what? Fit. How are they going to change the Bitcoin rules? That's what I'm saying. It just seems I don't want to blow out of proportion, like scare people, like oh no, corporations own Bitcoin. Um, but I, I also don't want people to like blindly just be like, oh yeah, another corporation bought Bitcoin. Like yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Be, yeah, it should be met with the same skepticism on both ends of the the extreme. It's. <laughs> Okay, so what you're you're pulling on this tension of again Bitcoin being a free market and a commons. We feel like ah, it's our Bitcoin. I want this adoption, hyper Bitcoinization, to happen the way I want it to happen. I'm a node runner. I'm a voter, and at the same time, we're like, oh, it's free market. Anyone can do it. So it's definitely weird to watch. There's also this very weird thing where. As a Bitcoin maximalist, you end up aligning with the state and being inherently status when you cheer for things like this to happen and the uh, governments to make pro-Bitcoin regulation. I mean, think about all the El Salvador simping um, that we're all guilty of over the last 
several years uh, just because, uh, you know, this country bought, I don't know, a couple thousand Bitcoins. It's, it's interesting. Like it takes you for a psychological ride. But I don't know. The thing, the fiat price appreciation does things to people, man. I mean, they, as oh, much as they want to say one Bitcoin is equals one Bitcoin. I mean, when we see this thing at hit 100K, like people's minds are going to explode. Even reaching 70K again. Do you remember what those days are like? You could hardly pay attention to anything. Driving around your car, checking the price, like just insane. It's, this is the calmer time. To just This is the, honestly the better time for productivity, for accumulation, and to get anything done, really, because I don't care who you are. When, you know, you watch your wealth, you know, double and triple in a matter of months, it does things to you. No doubt. And you can't help but cheer. You can't help but cheer. It's a good, it's a great thing. You're no, excited. It's, it's once in a lifetime. When you're rich getting richer, man. Yeah. No, nothing yeah. beats number go up. But let's, you want to do the blockchain or energy consumption question next? Let's do energy consumption. It seems related. There's a little bit of, a lot of media at play in both. So how does Bitcoin's energy consumption impact its perception and value? Oof. Well, it really tarnishes its perception in many ways, just because there's a lot of misunderstandings about how it works on both sides. There's some like gross exaggerations about how, how renewable and green Bitcoin may be. There's a lot of also misunderstandings from the public and propaganda. I mean, notice I just said green, like there's no such thing as green energy or blue energy or yellow energy, like all energy production has trade-offs. And that's not something societies like <laughs> we're not ready for that conversation, but we're too busy, you know, being told to shut down our nuclear miners and force basically like these unsustainable renewables onto the grid, making it catastrophically fragile. But therein, Bitcoin actually provides a really interesting solution. So, you know, you can load manage and throttle through Bitcoin mining. I mean, we just saw how much did Riot get paid? X million per, per Bitcoin foregone. Say it again, Q. You're on mute. Anyway, it was several million for turning off their miners in Texas at a time when the energy, you know, when they, they were asked by the state to, they have these power contracts with the state or with local, whatever companies own that part of the grid to switch their miners on and off and they actually get paid. They make bank for fulfilling these contracts. Now they have to respond to that kind of demand load requests within like minutes and they get paid the faster they can respond to it. So it's a really big investment to get those kind of contracts and their jurisdiction are like insanely complicated and change and I won't pretend to be an expert in them, but that is like one of the most exciting. Seven million. That's how oh, much damn. Thank you. Yeah. Incredible. So, I mean, that just goes to show you that despite whatever the media says, you know, Bitcoin uses more energy than the sun. There, there are good synergies that are happening between like actual <laughs> physical world grids, Bitcoin mining. It does allow you to harness remote sources of energy that you'd have no way to transport anywhere else otherwise. I mean, I can tell you I'm soon to start mining here at home. There, there's no other way for me to monetize like that off my power. It just, I just use it. But now, you know, I can store in a battery, I can mine with it. You can start to monetize that. It's going to help. It's going to help distribute the grid. It's going to do tremendous things, I think, for Africa, if we can get it right and we can stop, you know, we have too much of homogeneity of machines and machine manufacturers, ASIC manufacturers, and we have too many companies doing all the mining. I think we need to get this stuff into the hands of the people. We need to get people mining at home and they need to be able to just fucking plug and chug and go. And I don't know if it's ever going to be that super simple but it's getting better like there are more solutions coming out every day to mine more conveniently at home it's still a kind of risky pretty pretty hefty investment but i think we're getting there i think we're trending in the right direction so yeah talk about it q so i think there's also another component 
beyond just like you know mining systems being used to heat people's homes or in lieu of a water heater but just this appreciation that i think most people who've studied bitcoin have of how difficult it should be to make money and there should be a high energy cost associated with the bitcoin has so unforgeable costliness is what nick zabo called it exactly and like even for example like no this was not one of the claims when alex said oh bitcoin uses as much energy as the sun but we've heard some pretty outlandish claims like bitcoin uses more energy than the country of sweden which the same group that released that study has since published very quietly and under the table a retraction of that specific claim as two of the published retractions on every other claim you've all the fud that you've ever heard oh bitcoin uses more electricity than washing machines more electricity than this that etc they're all they were all lies and the group that actually published them has come out and said oh we have corrections on our statistics decreasing the percentage of energy consumed by bitcoin i want to shout out dan batten who's been on the forefront of debunking a lot of this fud who he's been the only one publicizing this i think but i think in fairness i think the cambridge research group that comes out with these papers i think they're like well i've met some of them i think they're well-intended people i think it's just a kind of tricky thing to calculate i mean you've got you know, despite me saying, you know, all these ASICs are coming from the same manufacturer, like there is actually a major difference in the types of machines that are used, the pipe, types of power that are used, the reporting that goes on. There's no standards for this shit. So it's like, sure. you, don't, you don't know like, if you're getting you know, the truth you know, or not. So set up in Iran where you're not going to get data from your, you have right. So I just, I, I applaud them for making the correction at all is what I'm saying. But no. So here's the difference. I'm not so concerned about the fact that there's a correction shit happens we get our numbers wrong like we've all made mistakes that i can understand and appreciate it's the amount of time money energy and influence they put in to publishing their original incorrect statistics that is now not being spent so no one is seeing the study that hey these are the correct or corrected statistics They only ever saw the, well, Bitcoin mining uses more energy than the entire country of Sweden. And I know the country of Sweden because like, it's not like a random country. Like most people with average intelligence will know, oh, Sweden, cool. I know that's a country. They don't know much else beyond that, but they know that exists. So that my qualm is not so much that they made the mistake. My qualm is that they're not publicizing it in the same way that they publicized the original research. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say some of that has to do with the media effect of, you know, you release a press release and then 300 outlets pick that up and take it and run with it and all copy each other and use the exact same language. So sometimes if you miss the news cycle, it's hard to say what the intention there was, but yeah, I totally hear you not getting the same amount of uh, interest, especially this deep in the, in the bear market. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Is that getting quiet? Yeah. Basically, I realized I was using the wrong microphone this whole time. So I have this nice fancy microphone in front of me and I'm using my shitty fucking iMac computer. <laughs> like, nice. So it probably sounded like trash the entire stream. I'm uh, sorry about that. I'll get it. Together I'd like to me. hit the last question before we run out of time, unless there's anything else we want to hit on energy. Yeah, let's do it. Let's so, do it. What's the last question? I think this ties in together both of the things that we've talked about thus far. Can you explain the term blockchain in relation to Bitcoin? So blockchain itself is just a a ledger, typically a public ledger. Now, what is that? Think of an Excel file. Like you got your columns with all of the different things that are in this Excel file. And then you got the rows referencing sort of the entry, if you will my data analyst nerds like you'll understand that a little bit but for the most part a ledger is really just a giant excel file crazy crazy but when people like jimmy song are like no you're better off instead of creating a blockchain to put that on you should just use a sql query and create a a ledger because it's less energy intensive to make the sql query versus having a blockchain 
and this goes back now to what we just talked about energy consumption this whole idea like oh i want to put this on the blockchain that should be on the blockchain etc <sighs> i fell for it too i totally was like oh Did this you? company wrote blockchain on their earnings reports like smash by like i was there i did it too but i think you're am i still frozen am i still frozen you're you're entering the major okay you're back you're back okay all right so so how much you three saying i am vitalik so a blockchain is this sort of ledger and because it's so energy intensive not everything needs to be put on the blockchain in fact it should only be reserved for things that we should agree require a lot of energy to be created or be used, like a ledger for money. And this whole idea that Bitcoin uses too much energy is it shows a lack of understanding of what that energy is. Exactly. Like, the energy isn't being wasted. It's not being burned off. It's not like some methane gas being flared off while we're mining, like far from it. It is, Bitcoin is literally the first thing that we can store energy into something with value other than like having to lug around oil in my backpack and hoping that the guy down the street will accept this can of oil for the chicken I'm trying to buy. So, okay. Yeah. 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 So, so Bitcoin transforms energy into a commodity, which meets the coincidence of wants better than any, basically any other commodity on earth. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah. We didn't even get into the security budget. I mean, this is a huge, we got to ask maybe a little bit more specific question in the future about the energy thing, but the, how do I explain blockchain relation to Bitcoin? Well, it's like, it sounds the blockchain was invented. It's a distributed database. It's a chain of blocks that are cryptographically linked together that, you know, is very hard to reverse once you get a certain number of blocks down. So it's public, it's immutable, and yeah, it's free for all to use. Not free, but it's, I don't know. There's like chains that try to compete with Bitcoin, but for various reasons, which we're a little over time now, so we'll get into later. We've talked about on past shows, they're they're not really even playing the same game. You can't really bootstrap past Bitcoin because the market has decided this is the blockchain. This is where the value is. This is where the immutability is. This is where the censorship resistance is. This is where the permissionlessness is. I mean, this is the, well, the, the, this is the humanity... The first mover Mm -hmm. advantage for a blockchain specifically is so fundamentally important because the But when you say that, it's like, what are you talking about? The only one is Bitcoin. There's no other use case for a blockchain. No, no, I agree with that. But I just, I want like people who fall for the, oh, blockchain tech. Yeah, like that, I've heard of that. Mm. Most blockchain tech when it's new, like Bitcoin when it was brand new, you, me and everyone else, we didn't even... Pay attention to it. So let's not act like when the next thing on a blockchain comes around, like, oh, we're going to be wise to it. If anything, we need to recognize that what makes a blockchain secure is that it has existed for a long enough time that there are enough blocks attached and enough people that are supporting, contributing, and growing it. When you have a blockchain like Solana, for example, where only one entity can maintain the blocks and add more blocks pretty risky pretty centralized pretty antithetical to the overall idea of a blockchain which is to be this public database that anyone can see so long as you have an internet connection you can find the bitcoin blockchain and look through transactions yeah so bitcoin is a is the blockchain but all blockchains are not bitcoin i guess in conclusion yeah yeah i think that's it for me today q we we dove into our questions i think we hit all three we covered the swan story pretty well please if you're uh, watching on youtube or rumble don't forget to uh like and subscribe or leave us a comment really help us out here i promise the audio and video quality will be boosted yesterday i just hit the wrong settings and if you're tuning in from a podcast you know give 
give us a subscribe, you know, rate us, leave, leave us a little comment. It goes a long way. And shout out to everyone on Zap That Stream. As always, that is our absolute favorite platform to broadcast from, Nostra Native. We got to talk about the Nostrasia conference tomorrow. We, we haven't even got into that yet. It's coming up. But uh, yeah, that's it for me.